Please join me in our text uh, for this morning in Matthew chapter 8. As you're turning there, I want to say that Tim and I work hard at worship planning. Uh, back in November, I gave him a sermon schedule, and I, I don't really depart from that very often. And he works real hard to uh, make sure there's uh, pretty much a single point that we're making in our worship service. He reads the text carefully, looks at some of the description of the message that I give to him. And so if it ever appears that the music and the message dovetail into one another, um, well, that's by design. And uh, God, has, uh, God has done that. I do want to say also that if a sermon ends up meeting your need on a particular day, you have to understand this was planned back in November, this particular series of messages that I preached from January and that I'll preach until April uh, was planned back then, and I had no idea that you had that need. But God did, and God loves you, and God seeks to minister to your need through the ministry of the Word from the pulpit and really through, through worship. Now, Jesus Christ is the, center fo- is the centerpiece and the focus of our worship, of course. We are not. But a byproduct of that is that an awful lot of needs get met in that uh, context. You know, oftentimes, um, upon further examination, appearances uh, can be seen to be a bit misleading. I remember one time meeting a Hollywood star when I was at Southwestern Seminary. I had the opportunity to do that. He was going to speak uh, in the evening and the next morning's chapel service. And uh, he was a Christian and um, very effective at sharing his faith. And I'll never forget going back into the green room, meeting him. Uh, I was terribly distracted with a cell phone call to someone. I assume it was probably his family, and that was uh, really fine. But I I thought, when I saw him first, you sure are a short little squirt. You look much taller on television. And uh, I thought, well, as you know, tall and handsome as I am, why, why do I have a Hollywood contract myself? Who's your agent? Uh, not, that's not saying much, by the way. But uh, it does remind me of a fellow that took a new job. Uh, a, uh, he was there for a week, and the next week, his second week there, uh, the fellow who hired him called him in. And he said, um, look, you put on your job application that you had five years of experience And I've just discovered this is your first job. And the fellow replied, well, you said in your advertisement for this position that you wanted someone with some imagination. (laughs) You know, those kinds of things are increasingly becoming a difficulty in job hiring. But when you come to Jesus Christ, Jesus' appearance was never greater than the reality of who he was. There was entire and total consistency between who Jesus appeared to be and who He actually was. And in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, by healing a centurion's servant, Jesus revealed the secret to His power was trusting His Father. And I want us to begin reading in verse number 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to Him, pleading with Him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I'll come to heal him. And the centurion answered and said, No, no, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go. And he goes. And to another, Come. And he comes, 
and to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Jesus deserves our trust and service because He trusted the Heavenly Father. And in this text, you find several kinds of trusts or several kinds of faith. And the first is this, sure faith. Dr. Criswell noted about this passage that uh, different towns get excited about different uh, guests. If you've got a town, for example, that uh, appreciates... um, symphony music. Then when a famous conductor shows up in town, all of those that appreciate that fine music uh, get excited. Uh, If a town appreciates college football, then when uh, game day arrives, then uh, everyone gets excited. Uh, If someone likes and appreciates or a town appreciates uh, boxing, then when the heavyweight champion shows up, everyone gets excited. Beloved, I want to ask you, who got excited when Jesus showed up? Look at verses 5 and 6. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a Gentile, most of Rome immersed in paganism, came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. When Jesus Christ showed up in town, the broken, the paralyzed, the hurting, the dreadful, the tormented got excited because Jesus had come to town. And that's what you find here in the text. And when Jesus showed up in town, they got excited because Jesus would come through with the power of God and their need would be met. Jesus always demonstrated the power of God when humble people needed Him the most. He did not fail them. He was utterly reliable. That reminds me of an interview I read with John Wimber. A couple of years ago, John Wimber began the power evangelism movement in the late 70s and early 80s where he began to encourage others to engage and personally seek miraculous signs and miraculous healings in uh, evangelism. And it swept many churches. And some of us were very skeptical and thought that the claims were exaggerated. And a few years ago, before John Wimber died, in an interview with John Stott, he admitted that only about 30% of those who came were actually healed. Now, don't be too impressed with that, uh, that someone with the gift of healing did that. Uh, You'd have to prove that no one was praying for them and that the healing was only the result of the gift of healing. Uh, The Bible does teach that we can pray for people and God will heal them, according to James 5, uh, 14 through uh, 18. But he admitted only 30% were healed. 30%, he said, sought healing but they were only blessed and not healed. And with 30%, nothing happened. Let me make it real clear to you. I I do believe in faith healing. I've never had a lot of faith in faith healers. Uh, If if they were real and really had the gift of healing, I, I believe that they would hang out at the emergency room and the funeral parlor because healing involved raising the dead. 
And they would go south of the equator where disease racks Asia, Latin America, and Africa in many places. And, and so I, I don't have a lot of faith in faith healers. And, uh, but I do believe in faith healing. I, I've, I've prayed for people and God has raised them up and healed them. I, I don't think I've ever seen that instantaneously. But the whole church has gathered behind people and, and prayed for healing. And uh, asked God to come through. And, and we claim James chapter 5 verse 14 through 18, and God came through and took care of them and healed them without doctor's intervention. And then sometimes God healed them through uh, medical arts and medical practice. But it's it's remarkable to me that 30% were healed, 30% blessed but not healed, 30% nothing happened. In Matthew 12, 15, it says, when they came to Jesus, He healed them all. He healed them all. It wasn't 30%, 30%, 30%. So Jesus claims of healing. And when we claim that He was a healer and brought the kingdom of God and His power, we're not exaggerating at all. In other words, Jesus could be trusted to be utterly reliable. In fact, I'll say, Jesus is more reliable than the light switches at your home. More reliable than those. And we must be reliable too. We need to have God's power when others have needs. When someone has a gospel need, we need to have the word of the gospel on our tongues. And when someone has a need for a word of counsel, we need to be able to deliver to them a word from God. And when someone has a financial need, a legitimate financial need, they've not been reckless or irresponsible, they need someone to come through for them in a, in a moment, then we need to be able to write a check and, and help them out. And encourage them in that way but so often what happens is we don't know what to say to a non-christian and we don't know we don't have words to say to give a word of counsel to someone and when someone has a financial need we've been so reckless with with our finances that we cannot come through and we cannot help the world cannot afford an impotent church or impotent christians folks who are powerless in gospel witness in a word or in or in giving. We need a sure witness, sure counsel, and sure giving. And and I will encourage you and, and assure you today that if you were to turn to Jesus Christ, no matter what you've seen in the body of Christ, if you were to turn to Jesus Christ today, you will find Him utterly reliable, capable, eager, and willing to forgive sin and to cancel guilt and to claim you and guide you and lead you for the balance of your life into eternity. Jesus is willing to do that, and at the end of the message, we'll give you the opportunity to turn to Him, and you'll find Him reliable all the way through. Faithful is He who calls you, and He will do it. Now, why did Jesus have power with needs, and how can I? Well, that leads us to the second kind of faith. Look at verses 8 and 9. And the key word here is also. The English Standard Version translates it to, T-O-O, Uh, The NIV doesn't translate it, and and the King James Version does not translate it. But the New King James will read also in verses 8 and 9. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. The English Standard would read, I too am a man under authority. Jesus, you can merely speak a word because I also am a man under authority. Now, also, what does that mean? Well, that means there's a reciprocal 
relationship between this centurion and Jesus. The centurion is under authority, and so in verse number 9, he was entirely correct when he says, I have soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. So I'm under authority, therefore I have authority. I also am under authority, therefore I have authority over soldiers. I tell one, go, and he goes. I tell one, come, and he comes. And I tell my servant, do this, and he does it. So this man has clear insight into Jesus. He has clear insight first into the relationship between submission and authority. And he sees it in Jesus as well because he says, I also am a man under authority. Why is it that Jesus had authority? Why did he have authority over this paralysis and this torment, this disability, and from a distance could speak a word and heal this man from a distance? Why did Jesus have that authority? Because Jesus had submitted himself to the authority of the Father just like the soldier had submitted himself to the authority of Rome and his commanding officers. Um, it's um, much like this. Imagine a referee in a football game, and he's, let's say at best, 150 pounds, soaking wet, full of bananas. And that, that's, as, that's as heavy as he can get. But he is looking at a 350-pound lineman charging uh, towards the quarterback. But there's been an infraction, and he blows his whistle and the 350-pound lineman stops. He stops his action. The play is ceased. In fact, if you were to take all 22 players on that field, on the offense and defense, this 150-pound referee blows the whistle, and the play stops with some of the strongest men in all the earth and probably the history of the world. Well, how can a 150-pound man blow a small dinky whistle that is terribly annoying. Don't ever give a child a whistle for Christmas or birthday, please. <clears throat> I, who's the smart aleck out there? <laughs> and so a 150-pound man with a small whistle is able to stop tons of human flesh in their tracks. Why? Because he doesn't have necessarily the power to do so. He's got the authority. He is under the rule book, and the rule book is under the rule of the NFL. The NFL is under the rule of the owners. The same is true with a police officer directing traffic. You've got an 18-wheeler going down the highway, and the police officer holds up his hand, blows a whistle, and makes it stop. Does he stop it by power? No. He stops it by his authority. He's under the, the, the authority of his captain. He's under the authority of the police department, their rules, regulations. They're under the authority of local ordinances. They're under the authority of the state. And they're under the authority of the federal government. In other words, Jesus had this power because he submitted to authority. This soldier understood that about Jesus and said, Jesus, you don't need to even come in my home. It's not kosher. I'm not worthy of you being there as a Jew at all. Just say the word from a distance and he'll be healed in verse number 13. That is precisely what happened. This soldier in Jesus understood something that is very, very hard for most Americans to choke down. And that is, if you want authority 
in the appropriate areas of life, you've got to be submissive where God has put authority over your life. Now I can hear some cranky people saying, wait a minute, you start talking about submission to authority that is slavish, it's undignified. And I would counter by saying, the Son of God in human flesh came to the earth and He had parents. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, God in flesh submitted or subjected Himself to them. Ladies and gentlemen, submission to authority is not slavish or subservient. Submission to the authorities God's put in our lives is Christ-like, and we cannot be Christ-like if we've not submitted to the authorities God has placed in our life. Well, wait a minute. What if the authority is wrong? Well, if the authority leads you and encourages you to violate the law of God or violate the laws of the land, you're not obligated to obey. Acts chapter 5, verse 29 says, We must obey God rather than men. And that's precisely what Daniel did in Daniel 6. There was an edict not to pray to any other god but the king, and he went on and prayed anyway three times a day. He wound up in the lion's den, had to suffer the consequences. But you never have to obey authority or submit to authority when authority encourages you to violate legitimate laws of the land or violate the laws of God. Now, God has established authority in many places. One, in our walk with God. James 4, 7 says, submit to God. Then to government. Romans 13 teaches us to submit to government and the laws of the land. There's authority in the home, from Ephesians 5.22 to 6.4. There's authority in the church, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. There's authority at work with employers, Colossians 3.22. Now, Jesus had power to meet needs because He submitted to the Father. In John chapter 5, verse 19, He was submissive to God. In Matthew chapter 17.27, submissive to government. In Luke 2.51, submissive to His parents. Uh, in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 17, he was submissive to the synagogue official. And then in John chapter 5, verse 30, he was submissive with his work before God. So Jesus had power to meet needs because he submitted to the Father, and we can too if we will submit to the authorities in our lives. In fact, let me put it to you this way. Rebellion weakens, submission strengthens. The rebel will never get anywhere with anybody. The one who submits appropriately to the authorities that God has placed in his or her life will flourish. So we should trust and serve Jesus because he submitted to the authorities that God placed in his life. So there's a sure faith here and there is a submissive faith. But there's a third kind of faith here as well and that's a surprising faith. A surprising faith. And there are several surprises about this faith. In verse number 10, it's rarity. It's very rare, this kind of faith. Jesus was really emphatic in verse 10. Assuredly, that's the Hebrew and Greek word, amen. Usually you would say that at the end of a teacher's statement to affirm its divinity, Jesus said that about his own statements before he ever made them. And then instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, Jesus said, I say to you. So this is emphatic. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In other words, those who should have had a burgeoning faith that submitted to authority should have been plentiful in Israel. 
Those that are getting results and meeting needs with the power of God should have been plentiful in Israel. And yet Jesus has to go outside Israel to this Gentile centurion to find this faith. You know something? Most people never have power, the power of God on their lives because they're not submissive. They're rebellious towards the authorities in their life. And so it's rare. And then it's reversal. Look at verses 11 and 12. This is shocking. The Jews had a false sense of security in Jesus' day that they would be okay and right with God if they were related to Abraham, that they were assured a place in heaven, in paradise, eternity, because of their family relationships. And some of their offspring live today. And Jesus disabused them of that false sense of security. Look what he said, verse 11 and 12. I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. When that final day comes, it's going to be like a feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here's what he says. The sons of the kingdom, who were the Jews, will be cast into outer darkness, a reference to hell, where there will be intense pain, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping uh, and gnashing are preceded by the Greek article, which means they're emphatic. The weeping, the gnashing of teeth, intense pain and difficulty. And so it is a reversal. That means that the pagans were more inclined to trust God and submit to Jesus than those who had grown up with the faith. Hey, do you know what will happen today? When on the West Coast they finally wake up and have church today, being three hours behind us, there will be people on the West Coast who've lived an entirely secular life who today will attend church and they will hear the good news of Christ for the first time or a message like this and will immediately repent and place faith in Jesus. While some of those in the southern part of the United States and other places who've grown up with this their entire life will recoil and walk out as if nothing happened. Verse 11 and 12 is what Jesus says about that. So its rarity was surprising. The reversal is surprising. And then there's the ratio. Look at verse 13. Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. As you have believed, so let it be done to you. Let it be done to you according to your faith. In other words, this is the doctrine of measure. The doctrine of measure. In other words, this centurion witnessed the power of God to the degree that he trusted Jesus. The measure of his trust determined the measure of the power. He got as much power from Jesus with this request as he had trust in him. And the same is true today. God takes, God takes our faith and measures it and says, you can have that much power. Now, thank God it only takes mustard seed faith to be saved. It only takes mustard seed faith to move mountains. Can you imagine if we had larger faith, the size of a tree trunk, what God could do in our midst? Jesus is not encouraging us to doubt Him by saying mustard seed faith can move mountains. He's not discouraging the growth in faith. He's saying just that little can move mountains. Ladies and gentlemen, if mustard seed faith can move mountains, just think of what larger growing faith can do. Hey, the reason some churches, some Christian lives are so dead and lifeless is that people are not growing in their trust in God. Now, 
just exactly how much trust do I have in God? Well, you can measure your faith by measuring your submission. You trust God not only by how much power you're witnessing. You trust God by how much you are submitting to Him. You don't trust God any more than you're submissive to the authorities that are placed in your life. So you see why Jesus had so much power. He trusted God's authority and he submitted to God's authority. So Jesus deserves our trust and our service because of the measure of his faith. His submission to authorities and his reliability. And I'm here to tell you today, without qualification, without reservation, without hesitation, Jesus Christ then is the best thing about us. Now, do you believe that? Well, if you do, we will believe then that he is the best at diagnosis. He is the best at diagnosing, diagnosing the human condition. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, a few pages over, he said that the evil that is part of the human experience does not come from the outside, but it comes from the heart. Our sinful failures are real because our heart is already depraved before God. That is the human problem. But there's good news. God loves us anyway, despite the wickedness of our hearts. And so Jesus is not only the best at diagnosis, He's the best at the remedy. He said in Matthew 4, 17, Repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repudiate that heart. Let your heart break over the condition of your heart. Reject it. Declare, oh God, I don't want my heart to be in control any longer. And then turn to Him in trust and faith because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. And then He's best at life and eternity. He said, He who confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who's in heaven. But he who denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. In other words, we've got to be willing to be public for Jesus. He lets us do that through baptism, through church membership, through living a daily consistent walk as a disciple. Jesus is the best thing about us. And now it's time to submit to that, to act on that in faith. And you'll have the opportunity after we pray this morning to do that very thing. Will you quickly stand with me, please, and let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the marvelous and incomparable example of Jesus and his trust in you. Thank you that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And He is reliable. He did all your will and He offers us great hope today. And today, if someone were to call out on Him and trust His death and resurrection, they could have their guilt and sins completely eliminated. If someone that trusts Him would come and follow Christ's baptism and church membership, the Holy Spirit would anoint them. And oh God, we pray that that would take place today. Now in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I want to ask you to keep praying for just a moment. And as we sing this song, we're, we're inviting you, the Holy Spirit's inviting you to say yes to Jesus Christ. Whatever He wants to do in your life, for some of you, it means you need to call out and cry out to God for salvation. And our staff is here to help you with that. You come, meet one of them and tell them your need. For others of you, you've done that, but you need to follow Christ in baptism. You need to go with His biblically prescribed way of starting the Christian life. And then some of you need to become part of Beach Haven. We invite you to come. Our staff are here to help you. There may be some other need. We'll be glad to help you with that. 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands since 1959 have had their need met at this place here. And it's not the place. It's the Savior who's looking on you today. And He can be trusted. He's reliable. And He's faithful. And He wants to do something neat in your life today. I'm going to finish my prayer. We'll start singing and we want you to come. And we want to be a help to you. Lord, I ask that you work on friends today to trust your son with a sure, submissive, and perhaps even surprising faith. Change lives and eternities because we have these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.